Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey guys, welcome back to the Agency Advantage Podcast. This is episode number 22, and today I'm talking with Bram Warshawski of Five Crowd. Now, we all know how much work actually goes into managing a remote team, and it's not as simple as just putting up a project on Upwork and getting back to the next Facebook. Five Crowd aims to solve that by connecting the sales and marketing departments of Fortune 500 companies with their own private network of some of the world's best freelancers. They also manage the project to ensure that their client gets the results they're looking for on time and on budget. Now, with an increased focus on ROI, sales and marketing departments around the world are changing how they work with agencies. Instead of just hiring a creative agency to be both the architect and the builder, they're decoupling strategy from execution in order to save money and increase efficiency. Not only does Bram talk about what this market shift means for your agency, but he really gets into the nuts and bolts of how specializing on execution has made his team hyper-efficient. And they build some really cool tools to help on this that you're going to want to hear about. So if you're stretched thin by offering everything under the sun in your full service agency, then this is the episode for you. So without further ado, here's Bram. So Bram, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Thanks uh, for having me on the show. Yeah, so we have a ton I want to cover this episode. Kind of, let's, let's just sort of jump right into it. You started Five Crowd. Can you just tell everyone what that is? <laughs> yeah, cool. So, so yeah, so I'm the co-founder of a company called uh, Five Crowd. Uh, basically, uh, what we do, we connect uh, big uh, Fortune 500 marketing and sales departments with the world's top freelancers, uh, and we manage the whole thing uh, as a service for our clients. So, a bit more maybe about my background might be helpful for some context. So, I, I used to be a, a brand manager. I was at a large, you know, consumer packaged goods company. And really just noticed that it's just harder than ever to be a marketer across every organization's um, marketers. We're being asked to do more with less. So more means more content, more often, more channels. Uh, you still got to create that like big TV and print ad. But now it's also how does that live as a banner ad in different sizes and A-B tested and in different languages and on mobile. And then there's social and there's just there's so much more you have to do. <laughs> But we're also uh, post-2008, and there's global P&L pressure. Teams and budgets aren't getting any bigger. Everyone's focused on ROI, and uh, and, that, and that's sort of that less part. And when it came to my agency, uh, they were fantastic at the big, you know, creative, strategic stuff. But more and more, because of digital marketing and all these trends, I just needed help uh, executing. I had really good architects, but I needed construction workers. So I started working with freelancers. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, I was able to do more than just about any other brand manager, but it's also a lot to manage. There's um, questions around compliance, figuring out payment, and just thought, hey, like, wouldn't it be amazing if I could call uh, or email, um, you know, uh, some sort of a business partner that would allow me to tap into this incredible and massive talent pool, uh, but at the same time feel and kind of look more like my agency. And so um, about uh, two years ago, that led us to launch Five Crowd and Really, what we've been working on is trying to reverse engineer that business partner we wish we had when we were client side. Yeah. So, who typically are you guys working with today? Yeah. Good question. So, so we work with big companies. So, companies like Labatt, uh, Hershey, Pepsi, Johnson and Johnson, uh, Twitter. Um, there's a couple big Canadian companies. Uh, growing list, and uh, and there's, there's new folks reaching out to us all the time. And uh, really, the reason for that uh, um, is that we're able to create a lot more value that way. So typically, these companies, they have um, many, many departments. 
Uh, they work with big agencies and there's an opportunity uh, to help them really improve marketing ROI, um, do things that might normally be cost or time prohibitive uh, and return uh, budget back to them so that they can drive their business. Okay, so before these big companies were, like you were saying, they, they would just go to an agency that would sort of just try to do it all? Yeah, basically, you know, that, uh, that like Mad Men, Madison Avenue, uh, <laughs> ad agency business model, it's really kind of the same. Like nothing's changed much since the 60s, but everything around it has changed, right? So clients have changed, the consumers have changed, media's changed, technology's changed, uh, but that old model's still there, and uh, there's a lot of industry leaders calling for reinvention. Uh, people are talking about this, and I know in our pre-interview, we sort of talked a bit about how uh, this might be the model uh, in the future. I, I know um, Sir John Hegarty, who's the uh, founder of uh, BBH, he's the H in BBH. Uh, so he was just recently quoted saying that if he had to do it all again, uh, it would be, you know, a core group of 10 to 20 and 100 to 200 freelancers. So that, that was really cool for us to see. But uh, essentially, uh, that is the current setup for a lot of big marketing organizations. And more and more what they're realizing is that, you know, they need to innovate uh, and that, there's increased competition and in that they have to do more with less. And uh, that's really where, where we think five crowd can help. I understand there's a difference between kind of the architect and the construction worker, but why isn't an agency able to sort of do both right now? Like why is this something you're able to come in and do better? That's a really good question. Um, so, so let, let's talk about uh, that analogy because I think it's something that, uh, that we think a lot about, you know, we're in production. And if you think about production in the physical sense, so, you know, the building that me and you are in right now, um, you know, you needed that architect to come up with the blueprints. They had to think strategically about it. Where do we want like natural lighting and uh, where's the staircase going to go? And they talk with the client, you whiteboard, you get to a place. But then, and this is, you know, the way like people have been building stuff forever. Uh, then you have a team of construction workers come in because one, it's a different skill set. So uh, that, you know, PhD who's really good at mapping stuff out if you put a welding mask on them, they might not know how to do that. Uh, but two, it's also really inefficient to ask that that uh, architect to do construction work, paneling, bricklaying, flooring, electrical, plumbing. These are like totally different things. Um, but I think one, one of the other really interesting things that happens is that when you're in the production business, but you're also doing strategy, it sort of erodes your ability to be consigliere with the client. So, you know, when I was a brand manager, I went to my agency. I said, uh, hey, you know, I got, I got this brand and it's very low awareness. And they said, don't worry, Bram, we're your strategic partner. We're going to steward and shepherd your equity. Uh, like we, we're on this. And they, they took it away, came back and said, hey, you need to build uh, a big TV ad. So we did that. And then two years later, I'm on a different brand. And my agency says, hey, Bram, you know, we're your strategic partner. What's going on? And I say, well, I got this equity issue where um, moms don't think I'm like I'm, I'm relevant and I need to fix my brand. And they took it away and came back with uh, a big TV ad to produce. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I sometimes think about that because, uh, it, you know, the Deloitte's, the McKinsey's of the world, the Accenture's, um, they're not biased by production. And so all they're doing is strategy and, and being pure play uh, builds a lot more confidence with the client uh, on our end. We can go in and say, listen, like we're, we're not going to give strategic advice and we, we draw a hard line there. Uh, you're sort of defined by what you say no to and we, we don't take on that strategy. But what happens is that clients really trust us because we're not agenda. We're, we're just sort of saying, hey, well, once you once you have blueprints and you're ready to do it, we're going to do that for you. And so one of the funny things that's happened is that 
a lot of clients come and ask us for strategic advice because they feel like we're not biased to give them strategic right. advice. Yeah. So I don't know if, if it's about doing it better or worse. I mean, there's definitely an efficiency play once you're focused on doing one thing, but I think it really just comes down to um, uh, the, this move from uh, generalist roles to more specialist roles as digital production matures. Uh, our bet is that it's going to follow the model of physical production. Right. And so is this something where you guys are sort of forcing the change or are clients realizing this on their own? Uh, I, look, I think we're, I, I, I'd love to think we're, we're impacting it. We've got a blog and like a hundred blog posts, a couple ebooks and videos, but I think clients are really realizing this on their own. You know, without agencies, we don't really have a business. So we need the agency to come and get the client really excited to build stuff so that we can then go and bring it to life. Um, what, what I think is happening is that over the years, clients have asked their agency to take on more and more and more. And, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of really interesting discussion on, uh, who's to blame, but I think it, it's kind of a moot point. Uh, we're, we're at a stage now where things are starting to fracture. And, um, uh, you know, we think that, that by being really focused on production, uh, what it kind of does is it liberates the agency to really shine because that's why they got into the industry. That's what they're great at. And ultimately, the client's a lot happier. The creative agencies don't see this as an unwanted change. I mean, I'm sure some of them are slow to adjust, but it's it's not something they should be upset about. No, you know, we've actually we've been really pleasantly surprised with the receptivity we've seen within the industry. I mean, some of our uh, advisors are actually folks that are like senior creative directors at agencies. Um, and uh, I think, you know, it, 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 it's, it's interesting because any agency is going to be a little bit reserved when there's new folks at the table. Uh, that's no different than when Google and Facebook started talking to big automotive, CPG and financial services. The agencies were a little bit wary at first. But you can't really resist uh, uh, change on the Internet. <laughs> and, uh, and more and more, what we're seeing is that agencies that are partnering with us, and, and we, we partner with a lot of our clients' business partners, uh, they're really winning because when we get projects that are um, you know, too strategic, well, we don't take that on, so we need to send that somewhere. Uh, and then you know, conversely, when, when they've got stuff that's going to bog down their studio, they can send it over to us. So ultimately, it's, it's what's good for the client that's going to win. And, and clients are realizing that. Uh, and they have to because there's just so much pressure. So this is sort of like the one nagging question I really have. I just had um, Nate McGuire on a couple of weeks ago. He's from Code My Views. And they're basically like a on-demand development team. They do websites, apps, just any kind of custom code work. But they've partnered with creative agencies who do the strategy but not the execution, his sales strategy is to go after agencies, whereas you guys go after the the company, the client itself. Yeah. Why why do you go direct to the client instead of just partnering with a bunch of agencies who can kind of give you a steady deal flow? Yeah. Um, you know, we, and we have agencies that call us uh, quite often and say something along the lines of, hey, we got this quick project and uh, we work with freelancers and it's, you know, we're not really sure how to do it. And you guys seem to have this figured out. Can we just work with you? Uh, what we found is that, um, uh, you know, we wanted to get really close and our goal is efficiency. And so the more layers you kind of put between like guy or gal who needs work done and then the person who's going to do the work, generally the less efficient it is. So um, what we're really trying to do is actually just decouple and um, minimize the, the number of touches between um, the person who's rendering the services 
Uh, and actually, like, 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 what I mean by that is the copywriters, the graphic designers, the video editors, the voiceovers. We want to minimize the the number of touches between that and the client. Uh, it's not to say that you know we're not open to it, and maybe eventually we'll have some sort of an offering for other agencies. It's just right now that's how we chose to build the business. Right off the bat, are you working with big clients like Johnson and Johnson and PepsiCo, or like how is that process of kind of going after these? huge companies what's that like it's really tough <laughs> yeah you know the uh I, I sometimes joke like the enterprise buying process it's like from here to like the next couple of blocks away and once you've gotten five inches the person's left the organization the procurement <laughs> department has changed their policies around things it's just it's it's really tough but um you know you're, you're really defined by what you say no to and we've had a lot of small businesses startups and uh, different folks reach out to us, and we've just stayed ruthlessly focused on enterprise. Uh, the good news is that um, because we're taking on smaller projects, uh, we're actually able to move a lot faster. So, um, you know, if you think about the way that uh, clients evaluate their agencies, it's really like, hey, how did Andy's agency do last year on the, on that campaign? Uh, with us, uh, you know, it's it's how did we do last week? How did we do last month? So, so for, when you say smaller projects, you mean smaller projects within these big companies? Yeah, 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 exactly. And that's really the nature of production. You know, we're we're not taking on these like six to twelve month um, TV ads. That's what the agencies are built for. They do a fantastic job at it. What we're helping them out with is more um, adaptation, versioning, um, sales collateral, uh, all sorts of stuff, right? And with that stuff, um, really, the production studio is just a laptop. Uh, like I'm, I'm blown away by what you can do with just a laptop. Uh, you can build an entire company from from just laptops. And the cool thing is now that um, you know we have ubiquitous high-speed Wi-Fi around the world. All all this talent is starting to come online. They're self-educating online. They're learning, uh, and uh, they they can now um, whether that person's at an office uh, down the street from you or whether they're in a different country, it, it kind of doesn't matter. I do want to dig in a little bit deeper this with, with selling to the enterprise because I know for like the average agency owner that just seems so far out of reach. And so do you think a lot of your background made it's not easy, but do you think it made the transition into making these sales more manageable for you? Yeah, yeah, probably, right? So, you know, um uh, coming from the client side, I think there's a lot more like sympathy, empathy, uh, you have a better understanding of how the processes work, how budget works. Um, enterprise really is a totally different market than anything else. And that's why you see, you know, typical companies will uh, start small and then um, like move up market. Uh, but, um, you know, I think what, what uh, one of the challenges with that is that everything you're building in the company is designed for a different kind of customer. And then you, there's always that, that learning curve of, oh, wait, enterprise really is very different. So uh, just from day one, we built it for the enterprise. And, um, you know, startups are tough because you don't have data. You're moving at light speed and it's, it's really tough to make decisions on the fly. And that's why uh, we, we also want to focus on the enterprise because we could sort of put ourselves in our shoes from a couple of months ago and and allow our gut to kind of guide those decisions. So, yeah, so dealing with enterprise clients is just so different than even with SMBs. Like it's. I'm sure there's different processes on both sides, but so what do you need to do to make sure their expectations are met? Like how can you get them to say when they're 
It's like, oh, how's Five Crowd doing for us? Like, how do you get them to say they're killing it? Yeah, well, one of the things that we do is we have a role at the company called the client lead role, and um, essentially that, that it's more of a you know um, efficiency consultant uh, slash like account manager role if you were going to compare it to an agency. But you you have to constantly be bringing your value. Uh, we return, uh, you know, between say 10 to 30% in direct cost savings. We actually put up a calculator on our website where you can go and, and figure out, uh, what the business case is, uh, for your organization. Uh, and sometimes it's up to 80% depending on the project. What, what's different with enterprise is exactly that need to be consistently showing ROI. Uh, continuity becomes really important on the business because the business is more complex. So you have to be able to read between the lines on, on, on any brief that's sent your way. Compliance is a really big deal. What I mean by compliance, by the way, is everything from IT security to legal and regulatory requirements. Um, these are things that, you know, an SMB owner just um, probably wouldn't care too much about. But when you're working with uh, the bigger folks, that's something that's that's really, really important. And it has, um, you know, big implications in the way that you run your operations all the way from the antivirus software that you have to how your office operates uh, to the policies that you set for employees. So uh, those are some of the things that are different. But I think the biggest thing is, um, is that it's, it's actually it's sort of similar uh, in terms of relationships. There's just a lot more of them, uh, both uh, horizontally across the organization, enterprise is bigger, but then also vertically, uh, there's a lot of different stakeholders. So uh, when you're working with an SMB, uh, you know, generally speaking, uh, what's good for, you know, the, the marketing manager is probably going to be what's good for the CEO. At, uh, at enterprise, sometimes what happens is that um, the way that you position things or articulate things to a CMO is, is very different than, say, to procurement, which might be very different than to that marketing manager. And um, what I mean by that is, is not that uh, there's conflicting interests because uh, it's usually the same. It's just how you present things, what's actually important, uh, articulation. Uh, those are things that's different. And uh, those sort of nuances can be really challenging, uh, at least I've seen with some of my friends that have moved up market and then jump into enterprise thinking that it's, it's similar um, and it's not. Like what roles internally are kind of responsible for handling that? Is it the client lead who kind of handles most of that uh, the nuance involved with selling to enterprise, like, or do the do the freelancers have any like? Do they have to deal with this at all? Like, how is that kind of managed? Yeah, so so the uh, the client lead definitely handles it. Uh, it's, it's similar to an agency. You know, occasionally you'll you'll connect in with a copywriter who's working on your project, but for the most part, it is it is that client lead. Uh, the only other two roles we have at the company, uh, it's very it's very lean, is a project manager role. And you can kind of think of them as um, fulfilling uh, all the demands that that that, uh, that we have. So clients come to us with projects. It's up to the project manager to build a game plan, decide who we're going to work with, manage timelines, manage budget, and then basically back office. So um, uh, you know we keep the platform running, uh, billing, uh, all the uh, all the operational stuff that doesn't fall within um, you know fulfilling uh, demand on a project. How many? Projects is like a, a client lead typically working on at a time. Yeah, that, that's a great question because we love the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, at a typical agency, uh, not many because they're bigger projects, they're slow moving, um, they're, they're a bit more complex or strategic, multiple stakeholders. Uh, with us, that number can get pretty high. So, uh, you know, I think at one point we had a client lead managing over 40 projects. 
Wow. Uh, now, when we started off, that would have been insane to think about. You know, <laughs> we could do maybe about 10 well. But as the platform has gotten better, as the talent we're working with has gotten um, more refined, uh, and as we introduce new uh, process and new systems, uh, we're starting to see that number go up. And it's awesome because what it means is that we can just be even more efficient for our clients. I don't know about you, but having a client lead handle 40 projects at once seems absolutely insane. So we're going to take a quick break right now. But when we come back, Bram is going to tell us how in the world they managed to do that. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back in just 30 seconds. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Now, Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so that you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets or on the back of napkins or whatever else you're using and start getting the insights into how your team is actually spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. Our best clients are agency owners, and while they love the accountability that comes with it, it's sort of like Upwork but without all the crazy fees. Where they really find the true value is by being able to connect Hubstaff with a project management tool to see what tasks are taking up their team's time. Think of it as Google Analytics for your team. I do want to warn you, though, there's a good chance once you see this data, you're going to be sick when you realize how little time is spent actually delivering the project itself. But you can't set up the procedures to make your agency more efficient if you're just guessing where time is being spent. So give Hubstaff a try so you can stop guessing and start streamlining your agency. Head over to hubstaff.com today and sign up for a free, no credit card required, 14-day trial and get your agency back on track. All right, now back to Bram. Yeah, and I think this will be really valuable to dive in, in for the listeners. So how do you possibly go from having someone be able to handle 10 projects to over 40? Technology. Uh, so we're heavily invested in technology. We automate everything that we can uh, we've saved, you know, countless hours of bookkeeping. Uh, we actually, our our team is a real mix of folks that have come from traditional agencies like a DDB to tech companies, uh, client side, everything in between. And we've tried to bring best practices where we can. But to paraphrase um, um, one person on our team who came from a traditional agency account role, uh, you know, he came in and said, wow, you guys have like automated 20% of my last job. <laughs> which for us is like amazing. That's awesome because now he gets to focus on the fun stuff and, um, and, and, you know, we can, we can really truly do more with less. So technology is a big part of that. Um, I'll share sort of one anecdote on how we're leaning in because it's really around project management, financial management and analytics. And one example on the analytics side, uh, we had a project that went a bit off track and I was up until four in the morning for, you know, two nights in a row trying to get it back on track. You know, it's the other side of entrepreneurship but um, afterwards, I, I, we, we did a bit of a postmortem, and I was like, what happened here? Like, how did this happen? And when we looked into it, it was just this, um, this terrible scenario where, you know, the client lead and project manager, it was their first time working together. It was the first time the client worked on a specific project like this with us. It was the first time that we had a, the freelancer work on this type of project. The margin we had in the project was really thin. There was just so many factors. Uh, it was a complex project. And what we realized is that you know, no one could actually know all this. If you're managing 40 projects, you can't keep track of all that. But then what we did is we realized that the, we had all the data. And so we built uh, analytics that essentially now flags these risks for us and scores them. And we can now sort our project list from highest to lowest risk. And what that allows us to do is ask very pointed questions much earlier on in the process. So I can turn you know, to someone on my team and say, hey, what's the, what's the game plan on this? Because you know, the system's telling us that, hey, 
this is actually a pretty risky project. And then we can intervene much earlier and avoid some of that stuff. So uh, that's just one example. We've That's really cool because like in my mind, that's almost I'm sure you're familiar with like customer success and how that's like a big movement now in the SaaS world. And that's almost like you're doing that internally. Like you're using predictive metrics to be like, all right, like I, I need to reach out for this project to make sure they almost like the equivalent would be like, they're not churning, but like you to make sure it doesn't go off the rails. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, you know, and we're, we're like big hub spotters and we're using all the latest stuff and, 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 uh, borrowing would be the nice word, but we're essentially borrowing UI elements, borrowing, um, methodologies and the thinking, uh, from the technology world and building our own platforms. So, you know, it's, 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 uh, you know, full stack of like Python and Flask and Postgres and Angular and all that kind of fun stuff, but it gives us the, the operational flexibility that when something comes out and uh, and we think it, it makes a lot of sense, we can build it into our platform. Uh, another example of that is is really on the um, uh, um, the way that we match projects. So we've developed a matching algorithm that we're constantly refining, and uh, we, we really think that in the future it could just be as simple as you get this brief, and then uh, it crunches through all that all that you know customer data, but it actually has to do with our, our freelance professionals and finds the folks that are going to be the best fit for that project based on a whole bunch of criteria. And it's going to be faster, cheaper, and probably smarter than any, any one person could do so long as we have the data. Hmm. And so how many people do you guys have working on this sort of back office stuff? We're, we're super lean. Um, so uh, it's, we have a you know, product manager role, uh, myself, uh, you know, some engineers that we work with. Um, but one of the one of the really interesting things is that, and you know, you mentioned SaaS companies, and to contrast it with a SaaS company, uh, typically uh, you're you're like a customer phone call away from feature validation. I know when we were chatting offline, you were telling me you just reached out to some customers and got some interesting feedback uh, that you can now use and it's actionable. Or you have to do a user survey or dive deep into the analytics. What's cool about us uh, having a service side is that I just lean over to someone on the team and I'm like, hey, would you would you use this feature? And they'll say no. Or, yeah, I would, but only if it had this. And then we just build it. So we're, we're moving a lot faster, I think, than a traditional company uh, that's just doing product because we're, we're you know, eating our own dog food and, and using the actual stuff. No, that's a really good point because you're right. It's like when you're building systems that you're using internally, you have the, the validation right there. You can just say, does this make sense? Or like if you build something, you'll hear pretty quickly like if it didn't help them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, you know, we're very agile. Um, there's a lot of really cool ways that, you know, agile is actually uh, infused into the service side of the organization too. But it all really comes from being really disciplined on the product side. Um, and, uh, and it's allowed us, I think, to move fast and to take all the learnings we're getting on the service side and just put them right into a product roadmap. What so many agencies and just so many kind of service businesses are doing is it seems like everyone wants to get into the product field. And so, like, do you guys have that desire at all? Do you ever say, like, hey, we've built this awesome platform. Let's just stop working. Like, let's stop delivering the service and let's just sell the platform. It's a good question. I mean, uh, a lot of service folks, we look at our product brethren raising, you know, giant multiples and uh, huge valuations. Product is tough. It's really, really tough. Um, we have no desire to ever leave the, uh, the service side uh, only because it's been, it's been so valuable to us. We built a whole business there. We're delivering a ton of value to our clients. 
What we are realizing, though, is that um, there's a lot of trends that are that are moving faster than we even thought. I mean, I don't think our business would have been possible two years ago. I um, the example I sort of point to is if you remember buffering on YouTube, you'd like load up a video, yeah. like click pause, wait five minutes, and then at least in Canada we have to do that. Um, <laughs> but that's like like what a joke now, right? Like we're, we're sharing our screen. Uh, you know, me and you are on a Skype call right now. Uh, you can work on the same document at the same time, like all, and it's, it's just, it's only getting better all at once. So um, once you have this like rise of cloud collaboration tools, um, a lot more people uh, choose remote work. And there's, uh, there's demographic reasons for that with Gen Y and boomers. There's technology reasons behind that. But essentially as more work goes online and, you know, the, the latest predictions is that by 2020, maybe one in two people are going to work online. There's going to be a need for this kind of a platform where you can syndicate work opportunity out, rapidly figure out who the right person is, and manage that all the way through to payment. So, you know, right now we're strictly focused on marketing production, but absolutely as we talk with other agencies, as we talk with other service companies, there's a real interest in what we're doing. And we, we find it really exciting because uh, it really plays into that like future of work category that we're kind of like um, accidentally jumping into. Yeah, and so I agree with what you're saying. Like even just in the past couple of years, there have been so many advances that have made remote work easier. What do you think is like missing from sort of the cloud collaboration tools right now? Empathy. Empathy is totally missing, uh, and uh, we're actually working right now on an ebook. Uh, about remote work, uh, there, you know, everyone is doing this. Everyone's getting into it. I mean, I know that the, um, uh, your business is really based on this too. And, um, uh, the biggest challenge that we see is empathy because it, it's even the kind of thing that like when we're face to face, uh, you know, you can see my body language. If I pause between when I'm speaking, that shows like that I'm thinking, uh, people, uh, are still going to be people like that human nature doesn't go away just because you're working remotely. And so there's a real challenge of, of, well, how do you do that? And because remote work is moving so fast, people are, are looking into this and they're researching and putting out stuff, but it's not fast enough. The insights aren't coming out. So um, we, we really invest in, in getting to know this. We survey our crowd a lot. In fact, one of the things that I do is I actually fly out and co-work with freelance professionals in our crowd uh, maybe really? once a quarter. Yeah. So like I, I like, you know, I'll just get on a plane, go to Pensacola, Florida, hang out for a weekend uh, with a with a with a one of our you know freelance graphic designers, uh, get to know her and her family, like run errands with her, like boring stuff. But really like look at her workflow, talk to her, get to know her. Then, you know, I'll be in like Cape Cod with a copywriter. And um, and, you know, the, the, the biggest danger is that folks that are remote become a username or become a number. There's still a person uh, that, you know, has a family with stories. And so uh, just to share sort of one thing that we've done on our platform and, and it's small and, you know, we're, we're constantly iterating on this kind of like this whole idea, but every user when they sign up is actually like we hash their username and turn it into a, a unique hexadecimal code that we can then use to create a color for them so that that color stays with them throughout their experience. It's a, it's like a ring around their profile. And that way, when you like jump into a room, uh, a workroom, and you're working with someone, it's like, oh, hey, that's Andy, because I noticed it's like light brown or pink or whatever, you know, like cool teal. And so you kind of get a bit more personality. Uh, we have like a shared Spotify playlist with everyone. And we found that music is a great way to uh, get to know someone and more like at a deeper level. So that is the biggest uh, challenge. Uh, and I don't think it's helped that um, uh, it's mostly technical folks that are really working on 
the software and the future of remote collaboration. I think more and more we need to see like more psychology, I guess, coming into it. And I, I don't know if this is going off track, but it, it, it's something that we think a lot about at our company is, is making sure that we, I hate the word humanize, but that we, that we humanize it. No, and I think it's so, so important, especially for agencies that are working with remote teams in general. It's like, even for us at, at Hubstaff, it's like we're in Slack all day and we're chatting with people, but like, you're right, I can't read any emotion there's like the little avatar so you can see a picture of them. So that kind of humanizes it a little bit and like, but you almost, you still have to kind of force yourself to add that personality, to add that empathy, because if you just default to focusing on the text, like you're not going to have that. Yeah. And look, we've, we've come a long way from, you know, just basic email. Like it's, it's pretty good, but you know, to, I'll just share like a really funny example. I, I worked um, uh, in, in, in sort of a past job with a project manager who was just fantastic. Still, I've never met this guy. Uh, I worked with him for like two years. I know what he looks like from his LinkedIn profile, but I've, I've never actually seen him. And I felt like we built such a great relationship. And I, I asked him, you know, because I was so interested how he was able to do this. And, and I talked to other folks that worked with him and they, they echoed that sentiment that, you know, he was fantastic. And I asked him, I asked him, I asked him and he wouldn't, you know, he just didn't tell me anything. And then eventually I got it out of him and he's like, you know, I'm really big into online dating. And I thought that that was so funny because, um, you know, he's, he's basically had to be on these platforms where you have to build relationships so quickly. And so he's then carried that over into the business world and has become really successful. Yeah. So, you know, at the start of emails, um, saying hello, um, you know, talking about what you got up to this weekend, asking the person how their day is going. There's all these little things that, that he does that, um, that actually come from like, you know, learnings and A-B testing on sites like OkCupid, uh, which is kind of funny, right? But uh, but there's actually some, like, there's some real legitimacy behind that thinking. And I think uh, I think more and more as, as folks uh, get into remote work, um, whether by choice or just out of, you know, necessity to run their business, uh, we have to remember that, uh, that they're real people uh, with real emotions and uh, aspirations and wants and feelings and all that. Yeah, no, I think that's so important. It really does seem like, it's clearly this is where things are going, but at the same time, I agree. Like there, there's a lot further that the the empathy role needs we needs to be developed to really get there and make people kind of not go crazy along the way. Like if because I worry that everything's going to go remote before it's really ready. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. And you know, freelance remote work, it's already the hardest thing in the world. You're basically an entrepreneur of one, or you're an agency of one. You wear all the hats. You know, you do sales, you do fulfillment, you do accounts receivable, but um, usually the reason you're in it is like like your raison d'etre is to write amazing copy or do great graphic design. So when it comes to all that business stuff, there's just there's a lot of friction there. It's something that you know we're kind of focused on helping to solve uh, by managing the sales funnel and um, really opening up more opportunity and letting folks get into the reason they got in their freelance in the first place. But I think that the remote piece only compounds that issue that it's already so difficult uh, to, to fly solo. Uh, I have a business partner and I have a lot of admiration for entrepreneurs that don't. Uh, I think that would just be so difficult. So I, I, I'm, I'm also a little bit worried that, um, that we're moving so fast on the technology front that we might lose that at the risk of sounding like too touchy feely. You know? <laughs> no, I understand. And so how do you and your business partner kind of split your roles at five crowd? Yeah. So, so my business partner, Rachel and I, uh, we actually met uh, back in university. We've been working together ever since, um, we've done different competitions. Uh, we, we've worked together in different roles. And so, 
um, you know, we've, uh, we kind of have like a pretty good way of working. Uh, she essentially leads, uh, sales operations, um, uh, most, most of the, um, the fulfillment in the company. And then I'm leading the technology side of the business. So I'm more of like a consultant to the business. Uh, my role is always changing. What's really nice about it is that, uh, we're able to work in the business and on the business as a team. And, uh, and I think that's, that's something that's really tough to do as a young company or as a young agency where you're so focused on getting that next project done that sometimes you forget to zoom out. And I think we're constantly challenging one another to do that. Uh, and that's what, that's what's really made, I don't want to say successful because we're not and we got to keep going, but <laughs> it's what's taken us to where, where we are right now. Yeah. But, but so let, let's talk about that. Like where, where would you say you guys are right now? Like how big, you don't need to be too specific, but like how big are you guys right now? Yeah, well, so we work with freelance professionals in over 150 cities. Uh, we flex up and down to meet demand. So we were joking that this past November, we might have actually been the largest agency in the city. Uh, we had so much demand coming in. Now we shrunk back down to uh, more of our normal size. Uh, but, you know, the team's growing. Uh, the technology's growing. Um, our brand is growing. So, you know, we want to build a huge company. And I think we're very much in the early stages. very exciting for the team. You know, we've been around for... Uh, just over two years now, but we're revenue funded. So we haven't yet raised. So, you know, it's, it, it's a really interesting question. There's so many different ways of looking at it. In one sense, we're like a pre-seed startup. In the other sense, we have like a, a great business, great clients. Uh, we've sent work all around the world. So we, we've done a lot. We've de-risked a lot. We've proven a lot, but we're really at the earliest stages of this journey, Andy. Yeah. And I mean, I just had a thought right now because I was thinking about that. Like typically, a creative agency isn't really going to be able to raise capital because I mean, I guess you could, but it'd be very difficult because you're not selling a, a product. You're not, you're not selling a, a good or you're selling the creative aspect. You're selling something that's hard to, to quantify, to repeat. It, it depends on the people more, but whereas you guys are focused on execution and removing the strategy aspect and you are very lean and you have the, the freelancers are contractors I could see how it would be possible to kind of raise capital in more of like a traditional startup sense. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, there's a, a lot of thoughts on that. One, it depends what kind of capital you want to raise. So traditional venture capital, uh, maybe, although, you know, we, we've had discussions and, and um, I, I definitely think that that would be possible. Well, ultimately, what investors are looking for is, is a really big return. Like, can you 100x this, right? And when we think about agency uh, production departments, uh, there's just there's no way that that is the future model with everything changing. You just can't put everything under one roof. And, uh, you know, an example we sort of point to is if you think about the word webmaster, like uh, if I told you we had a webmaster at Five Crowd, you'd probably laugh at us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Why? Like, why, right? No, what do they even do? You don't need yeah. a webmaster. You need a front-end person, a back-end person, a UX person, an SEO person, a copywriter, a designer. Like you just need so many roles um, that's a brand new word in the English dictionary. Like webmaster didn't exist more than like 20, 30 years ago. So it's moving so quickly. And if you are doing production, uh, that's true across every skill set. Copywriting is now medical copywriting and technical copywriting, graphic design. Well, are you good at packaging and dye lines or can you take that creative autonomy? Do you have beer experience or beauty experience? What kind of design is it? Uh, there's just, there's so much, uh, that's going on where, we're moving from a generalist economy to a specialist one. You can't fit all that under one roof. So uh, what we're really building is, is uh, the infrastructure, the systems, the know-how, the process, um, the, the company that's going to allow uh, work to be syndicated to a, a much more flexible on-demand 
production world, right? Like that is the paradigm shift. Traditionally, agencies have had these big studios, like just in case the client wanted something. So, hey, hey, client, just in case you need like a commercial, don't worry, I've got like producers, video editors, just in case you need a print ad, I've got graphic designers and copywriters. We're doing everything just in time. We don't know what clients are going to want and we don't know what the skill sets are of tomorrow, but it allows us to be flexible and it's low overhead. And um, what it means is like, I don't know if you remember, uh, uh, it wasn't even that long ago when agencies uh, hired a ton of Flash developers and then, okay, Flash isn't the next big thing. So now you have a whole bunch of awkward conversations of like, well, can you learn HTML5? <laughs> um, we, don't, we don't have that issue. And so, and so we really think that in the same way, uh, you know, Uber and Airbnb and all these other companies are um, uh, taking advantage of this on-demand sharing economy and moving from just in case to just in time, we think that agency production is going to do the same thing. Yeah, and so I guess to, to kind of push back a little on that, I agree that as a company you don't have that issue because you're, the, the crowd is adjusts up and down based on demand, but the kind of the, the freelancers themselves might have that issue. Like they, if they were learning Flash, it wouldn't necessarily affect your overhead to let them go. Because they weren't part of that to begin with, but they still have to learn something new. So how do you, I guess for the freelancer, like how do they keep up with all this? Um, yeah, it, that, I mean, that's, um, it's a, it's a good question. I guess the, the, the question I put back to you is exactly that. Like, are we going to be able to keep up with all these, uh, changes, uh, with technology and with trends and with everything? Or it, it, are we better off, uh, giving it to specialists who live and breathe this every day, both with us and other clients? Um, so, you know, what we, what we found is that we're never going to know more about, um, I'll just give you, I'll pick one specific example, um, like le lettering, right? So, um, we're never going to know more about lettering than the top person who does this on dribble, who has a whole Instagram account posted every day, like lives and breathes that we're much better relying on his or her expertise. Um, and so, so that's just the approach that, that we've taken and, and being really flexible, allows us to bring on new folks and uh, to find new ways of partnering with existing folks uh, on an ongoing basis. Yeah. And I, I mean, I entirely agree. So it's like, it's clear, especially with all the tools with access to truly a, a global workforce, you, it wouldn't make sense to not go with a specialist. Like you need those people who know that, who breathe that, whatever the specialty is, but it does have that sort of side effect of like it forces everyone to kind of have some specialty to truly have an expertise because as we shift more to that there's going to be fewer and fewer kind of generalists yeah totally 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 yeah. totally agree um and what we found uh is that the the freelance professionals that succeed the most in our platform tend to be really good at, at fewer things but they're fantastic at those things um, and, you know, the, the, the other thing is that it's really not just about the work product. Uh, there's, there's other ways to differentiate. So you can go really deep within skill set expertise. But, you know, quality also means how responsive are you? Are you, like, reliable? Can you manage timelines and budget? There's a lot more to it. So I think where, um, where you want to be is, like, that T-shaped persona, you know, of, like, like you, you have a, you have a ge generalist mindset, but really, like, really good. You go deep on one thing. My thinking is, as this goes, it's only going to keep going this way. And that's the thing is a lot of the old school kind of Madison Avenue agencies have been almost fighting that change for a while. But at this point, it seems inevitable that there's going to be this kind of decoupling strategy from production. And so what do you see as like the, the next few years look like? What do those look like for you guys at Five Crowd? 
I think it's really just growth. And, and you're right. I mean, um, you know, that book, Madison Avenue Manslaughter just came out and, um, we're seeing like, um, more and more the, the mindset is shifting that this is sort of the inevitable reality. And, um, I think we've been really lucky to have a little bit of foresight into that, uh, and, uh, and to see the industry move even faster than we thought. Uh, I thought this would be five, 10 years away and it's, it's just a much more accelerated timeline. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think for us, it's just about growth. It's just about, uh, getting, um, you know, more marketing departments signed up, um, and being able to support their demand, uh, to help them do more with less. I'd say the other thing for us, you know, cause I, I used to be client side and initially the thinking was, Hey, let's set out, we're going to solve this industry problem and that's going to be awesome. And that's very much our mission. You know, what we're trying to do is scale agency level production more efficiently than any other agency. But along the way, we discovered a, a, what we kind of call our social mission. So as we got to know a lot of the folks in our crowd, what we realized is that it's sort of this meritocracy where irrespective of your age, your gender, your religion, your ethnicity, your background, your geography, like nothing matters in this new paradigm. All that matters is like, do you have a shared vision? Are you willing to work hard? Um, you know, are you passionate about what you do? And so for us, that's the other thing that's really exciting over the next couple of years is the ability to get more work into the hands of people who are awesome and just want to do great work and are super talented. Uh, that's really rewarding because there's just a lot of really good touching stories that have come back about folks with different lifestyles or maybe they might have a physical disability or they just live in a place where they can't commute to like a downtown urban center and render their services for a big company. And a lot of these folks now kind of wake up and say, like, who cares in 10 seconds through this platform? I'm going to get connected with really cool work from a big brand. And uh, and I find that really rewarding. I mean, I think from from two sides is one, you let a lot of people who wouldn't have had had access to this work get that work. But you also on the other side is that you by taking away kind of the things that they don't want to do by handling that yourself, you're letting them focus on the things that actually drove them is, into this industry, the, the passionate, whatever it's about, web development or anything like that. You're letting them focus on that and kind of handling the rest for them, which I think is what a lot of them want. Yeah, totally. And uh, and that was a really big challenge for us early on because we're a two-sided marketplace. We have very different stakeholders. So, uh, you know, the, the corporate, like, Blue collar stiff, like me, basically, <laughs> is very, is very different than like that vagabondish, you know, creative, uh, you know, artist, right? And so, uh, what we've had to do is, is really build a company that can provide a valuable service to both sides. And, uh, I think the, the best thing has just been that there is a lot of friction on both sides that, that we can try to solve. Yeah. And so before we wrap up, I want to ask you, what do you think is for sort of a, a digital agency that isn't, one of these huge Madison Avenue agencies, but they're just a digital agency and they're trying to do everything. They, you come to them with a marketing issue or whatever. They'll come up with a strategy. They'll do the execution. They'll do it all. What should they be thinking about? What should they be doing next to kind of prepare or handle this specialization that you think is kind of coming over everything? I think that, um, the one sort of piece of advice, and I don't even know if this is advice, it's, it's just sort of a reality we're seeing is that things are getting a lot more competitive, right? So traditionally, clients would just call the agency. Um, but now they're thinking, hey, maybe I could bring things in-house and, uh, and I could just handle it myself. Uh, maybe I could hire a team of contractors. And uh, so now they're even thinking, hey, maybe I just don't even do that project because there's so much going on. Like in going into 2016, 
it is a very legitimate question to be asked what your strategy, you know, client side is for, uh, for social, for mobile, for local, for influencer, for shopper, for like, these are all very legit questions for CRM, for e-commerce, for analytics, like for search. Uh, so it's really tough where uh, clients are now thinking about moving budget uh, in all different areas and where they want to invest. I actually sat down with one CMO last month and uh, it was one of my favorite conversations, Andy, because um, I asked her, you know, which agencies do you work with? And she listed them out. She's like, I have an experiential agency, a digital agency, a creative agency. You know, she's listing out like a media agency, my PR agency. And then, the, you know, about 10 minutes later, she's like, oh yeah, I have a shopper marketing agency. And, uh, and I was kind of like, oh, my God, because, like, you know, this is crazy where if you went to those agencies, they would all say, oh, when it comes to that client, we're the strategic partner. Like, we own that client relationship. They can't do what they do without us. But here you have a CMO who forgot one of her partners actually existed. Um, so it's, it's really, really complicated. You know, our name, Five Card, actually comes from that idea that, you know, traditionally clients have sort of had those four options and we want to be that fifth hybrid option. I think more and more what you've got to do is find ways to differentiate and specialize and bring ROI to your to your clients because it's just um, we're moving to a world of transparency and analytics. And with that uh, comes a lot more insight and competition. So uh, I think it's really tough to be an agency right now and um, uh, really, really tough. I think maybe the last final thought I'd leave you with is, to uh, double down on strategy. Uh, clients are always looking for great strategy. And um, I think uh, the, the folks that are going to do like pure play, you know, great strategy, uh, there's always going to be a place for that. Yeah, I actually was just talking with Jay Bear uh, a couple of weeks ago. And like his big thing was that for his, he doesn't call himself at convincing for an agency. He is a strategic consultant. They do strategy. They let someone else do the execution. They'll, they'll give you recommendations, but that's not what they do. They focus just on the strategy because that's what they're best at. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. Uh, you know, you become more of a consultant than mm-hmm. an agency when you are a strategic partner. And it's a very difficult thing for clients to value is, is, you know, how much value am I getting out of that strategy? So it's a really great place to be because it's not commoditizing. Uh, there's always value in strategy. The challenge comes when you end up in like some sort of an hourly model, taking on everything and cost accounting becomes difficult. Uh, operations become difficult. So, um, you know, we're riding that decoupling trend on one end of the spectrum, but there's the other end. And um, I'd say, if, you know, if, if I was running a traditional ad agency or even like a, a midsize or small one, uh, strategy would be my focus area. Yeah. And honestly, I think today you gave a, a kind of, a ton. I didn't think we were going to cover all this, and we covered way more than I thought we would. And it's, it's been awesome. So, a lot of agencies I know census. They know that things are changing. They're not sure what to do, and they might not all set up a solution like you have. But I think you still gave them a ton that they can learn from how to kind of get ready for the the changes that may be coming. So, yeah. thanks for that. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Andy. And and you know, the final thing I'll leave you with: we we did a study uh, late last year with uh, Deloitte Consulting. And as part of it, we actually surveyed uh, 10 uh, top, you know, ad agency execs, uh, companies like BBDO, JWT, DDB, all, all the big guys, and sort of asked them the question of like, hey, what's keeping you up at night? What are people talking, you know, in the boardroom when no one's around? Uh, th- those kinds of things. We got some really juicy insights from it. But uh, one of the one of the biggest things that came out of it was that uh, this, the industry is changing and that at the top, there, there's sort of a sentiment of, hey, you know what, like, we don't know what, what's going to happen, but it's, it's someone else's problem. 
and I think uh, what I'd encourage folks to do is not look at that as a um, um, as like a, oh, oh shoot that that kind of stinks. But that's a huge opportunity. Like anytime there's pain, anytime there's that disruption or uncertainty, is an opportunity to start something amazing. So um, it, you know, for for anyone that's out there, like it, there, there's such a huge opportunity right now to innovate on the agency model. I, I'm I'm working on one area of it, but. There's a lot of agencies out there that are innovating on other things, uh, on analytics, on strategy, on data. Uh, there's just so much opportunity right now. So um, I, I don't think it's a doom and gloom situation. I think it's exciting to be in marketing. Oh, definitely. And so if people want to get more of this information from you, because it it is awesome, it, it's really useful, it's relevant, where can they go to, you mentioned some eBooks, you mentioned that, like where can they go to get this this type of content from you? Yeah, sweet. So yeah, so check out fivecrowd.com. It's just the number five and then the word crowd, C-R-O-W-D.com. Uh, we've got a blog, uh, eBooks, all that kind of fun stuff. In fact, one of the things uh, that we, we've got uh, that, that um, I find really interesting and, and hopefully other folks might find interesting too is with those uh, freelancers where we go out and, and kind of spend a day with them, we actually film that and put it online so you can watch like a day in the life of a freelancer that, that works with us. And it's really interesting. Uh, we call it the, the Freelancer Spotlight Series. And uh, we've got about five videos up there. There's a sixth one uh, coming. Uh, we're just editing it right now uh, from India. Uh, but we have folks from, from everywhere from Croatia to uh, Toronto to Dallas and, and in between. So uh, that that's really cool to, to check out because I think you really do get to see that that really human aspect to it that we were talking about earlier on in the show. That's awesome. So no, I'll get all that stuff linked up in the show notes. And I just want to say thanks so much for coming on today, Brandon. It was great. Yeah, thanks so much, Andy. This was fun. All right, I'll talk to you later. Even though Brandon's taking a much different approach than most of the guests I've spoken with, his message is still in line with what I've heard over and over again. By trying to offer everything under the sun, you're limiting how well you can do any of those things. The key to keeping your pipeline full and charging premium rates is specialization. Somebody like Travis Northcutt, who I spoke with a few episodes back, specialized by going super narrow and helping WordPress membership sites get more subscribers. But for Bram, he shows that you don't always have to go that narrow, and that by simply removing the strategy aspect, you're still able to develop a real expertise in something as broad as execution. To make it in the digital agency world, you need to have an edge over your competition. And if you try to offer everything, you're simply going to be spread way too thin to really dig in and develop the expertise you need to be able to find that edge. Relentlessly focus on the area of your business that you do best and keep improving there. If you can do that, then you won't have problems keeping your pipeline full. Now, that's all for this week. And if you got something out of this episode, I'd love to hear about it. So please head over to iTunes and leave a review telling me what you learned. This will also help build our audience and keep the show going. So I'd really appreciate it. Next week, I'll be back with Luke Summerfield from HubSoft, who's going to tell us why the standard web design process is broken, how you can fix it, and how it helps both you and your clients in the end. I'll talk to you then. See ya. See ya.